Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, March 15th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. It's part three of our four-part series on SPACs this week. Joining me today to dig more into some SPACs investors may want to keep an eye on, it's Certified Financial Planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Just great. I am here in my office finally for the first time in a while, so it's it's nice to have a little change of scenery. I see your piano is still behind you there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that must be nice. It must be nice <laughs> to, to get a little change of scenery every now and then. You know, I, my change of scenery comes a little bit later in the afternoon when I head out of the barn, Matt. That's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and stick with that one. And then um, as the weather warms up, maybe maybe, maybe there will even be a, uh, a golf course involved. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Very nice. Well, we can only hope. And hopefully during sometime later this year, we'll actually have a change of scenery and do this in the studio at some point. No, I don't think we can only hope. Let's quite, dream big. That's, that's not going to be for some time. So we're, we're dreaming big sometime. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dream big for investors today uh, and dig into some more SPACs that we have. Uh, again, uh, this is this is the, the third installment of our four part series on SPACs. We've talked a little bit about what SPACs are, um, it, why they are an interesting uh, way for companies to get listed on public uh, markets. We've had a couple of interviews, really fun interviews along the way here. Um, so, so certainly if you, if you missed those first two uh, installments, make sure to go back and check those out. Uh, and, and today, uh, no interview as, as, uh, as we are going to dig more into three additional SPACs that that are out there for investors today. Um, it looks like two of these SPACs have I they've already identified their targets, uh, while the other one hasn't yet identified its target. But but I'd imagine that's coming soon. So let's go ahead and start today, Matt, with the two companies, the two the two vehicles that have actually identified their targets. Uh, and, and the first one here, it's VG Acquisition Corporation. That's ticker of is VGAC. Uh, tell our listeners uh, what VG Acquisition is going to be bringing uh, to the public markets for investors here soon. Sure. Well, first of all, VG stands for Virgin Group in this case. Ah. So this was Virgin Group's uh, SPAC. Uh, Richard Branson himself was very involved with this one. They announced they are acquiring 23andMe, the DNA testing company. Yeah. And after the merger, the ticker symbol will change to ME. It is currently VGAC. But it'll be really easy to remember, just me. Um, (laughs) So It sounds somewhat selfish. (laughs) It's it's a selfish IPO. (laughs) So expect that to happen in the next few months. Yeah. Um, So 23andMe, everyone knows it for their, um, their genetic testing kits. I did one of those. It told me no big surprises. I already knew kind of where my family came from. But right. for people like my wife who, who don't really know their family history too well, it, it can really be a, an interesting thing. And it's not just the, the DNA testing. It's that it can tell you if you're gen- genetically predisposed to certain diseases, Yeah, um, things like that. That's where the real value is here. So First of all, just to kind of give you an idea of the scale of 23andMe, because it hasn't been a public company. A lot of people don't know, you know, the details of the operations. Yeah. Um, they have 10.7 million genetic tests done so far. 
um, just to put that in perspective, that is more than any other major competitor. Uh, Regeneron, for example, has done 1 million. Um, so wow. big, big scale. Um, they're estimating that that's going to get to over 16 million within the next four years. So they're, they're projecting a pretty you know, steady flow of genetic testing kits. So about 80% of those customers have consented to let 23andMe use their genetic material for research purposes. And that's really the key statistic right there. Well, that that's, they, that's something I was actually going to just jump in there and ask you about, because that to me seemed like it could be a big risk. But the way you've just framed it there, it actually sounds like it could, it could turn out to be a real big advantage for this company. Right. So they have more genetic material to use for research purposes than any other company out there. Um, and, and people are letting them use it. It's, it's a really, and, and they're, get, they're not only getting it for free, but people are paying for these genetic testing kits. Yeah. So it's a really cool, um, you know, the economics are really cool. Um, they, they have a partnership with uh, GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, to um, develop uh, therapeutics based on their genetic material. They've already identified eight potential candidates. And it, as we know, other than the COVID vaccine, it takes a while to develop drugs. Sure. Um, it, you know, they're not the government's not going to fast track and throw billions and billions of dollars at every drug. So, yeah. it, you know, it takes time, about 10 years in most cases from start to finish. So they, I think the first of 23andMe's um, drugs that they're developing is in is in phase one trials. So this is a viable you know path going forward. Um, the partnership with GSK, they are it's a 50 50 cost and revenue split for research on the drugs. Anyone who's followed the pharmaceutical industry knows that 50% of a, the revenue on a successful drug, one successful drug, can be in the billions and billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. So that's really where the potential is here. 23andMe is not projecting to be cash flow positive, or I'm sorry, it's not projecting to be profitable for at least the next five years. That's where they project it out to. But wow. that's not really the point. They're getting a ton of cash in this deal. They're getting $759 million of cash to fund their growth in this deal. Including that cash, it values their, their business at $3.5 billion. So a lot of their worth will be in cash that they can use to really expand and grow on these pipelines of products that they have going on. Yeah. And $3.5 billion for a company that has the most impressive collection of genetic material in the market could turn out to be a really small price to pay. Yeah, it really could. And I mean, I, I go back to that that whole, I mean, we, we live in a world now, I mean, obviously privacy is, is, a, is a big topic of discussion for um, for a lot of folks. And, and I mean, obviously, that's been more uh, internet related, social media related and whatnot. Um, in, in a case like this, I mean, it's a company like 23, they're explicit about what they're doing with this data. I mean, they're very explicit in, in regard to what they're doing, they they clearly are getting buy-in from the folks that are purchasing uh, those tests. I mean, it, it really does. It, it seems like initially, it seems like they saw around this corner, so to speak, and really have have been approaching it from the right from the right perspective. Because I mean, once you get buy-in from someone, and, and and the consumer says yes, you can use my genetic data to help fund research, to help to help to help research causes into in, in you know advance advancements in medicine. I mean, 
that right there, that 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 really seems like the biggest hurdle to clear almost. I'm not sure that there is a bigger hurdle unless maybe it's from a capital perspective. And I mean, a business like this, it's going to really need to invest, I think, a lot in R&D in the coming years. I mean, you noted they're not going to be profitable for the next five years, uh, possibly longer. You never really know. I mean, maybe they surprise to the upside, but creating that expectation up front is I, I think crucial in a case like this because if you get investor optimism, if you get investor buy-in at the beginning, even after creating those expectations, it sounds like maybe they've really they've really uh, got something here. Right, like like you kind of alluded to, there there are some privacy concerns when it comes to genetic material, and that's a big kind of like an obstacle. Yeah, um, I personally don't care that a company or whatever company knows that I'm of Eastern European descent. <laughs> and that I'm prone to high cholesterol. I really don't care that people know that. I'm telling it on a public forum right here. Well, there you go. <laughs> but a lot of people do have legitimate privacy concerns when it comes to their genetic material. So that's that's an obstacle that needs to be addressed. But no, like you said, that's a, a really high potential business. It's going to take a developing a drug is capital intensive. They they are very transparent about that. Right. You know how much if you, if you were to take a guess, how much would the does the average drug cost to develop from start until it's on the market? Oh, I mean, I, I would just guess a round number of like a hundred billion dollars or something, just something absurd because it, it, it just, uh, know, two point six billion is the average research cost. Okay. So and but with that in mind, the average drug, and this is where you said hundreds of billions, the average drug costs two point six billion dollars to develop. And there is a 12% probability that it will ever make it to the market. Right. So yes, when you want the cost to get one drug onto the market, the costs are in the tens of billions of dollars. So it's it's a capital intensive business. Their call about proposition is that by having so much genetic information, they can make the process more efficient, more targeted, give their drugs a higher probability of success than the average uh, company's drug candidates. So there's a lot of potential value to be created here. And like I said, they're getting $759 million. So that gets the pipeline going. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a nice little, and, and they're not just focused on that part of the business. They're, they're doing a consumer, a consumer subscription model as well, where you can subscribe hmm. to health updates as they learn more about genetic information and things like that, which based on your own genetic profile, this, they soft launched this in October it already has about 75,000 subscribers. That could easily go into the millions based on how many people have already given them their, their DNA. Um, and that's a subscription. So that's a recurring revenue model, which could be used to then really fund and accelerate the, the drug pipeline. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of potential ways they could create value. And pretty much like everything that Virgin and Richard Branson have their hands in, it's not expected to be profitable all the way there. <laughs> if if you were to ask me who is the long the the most forward thinking investor in the in the world, I'd probably have to say Branson. When you think of like Virgin Galactic, yeah. Virgin Orbit, Virgin Hyperloop, you know, it, 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 they're very forward looking, and this is no exception. So it really fits in well with his spec. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I tend to agree with you there on the forward thinking uh, part. I mean, there there are a handful of folks out there that really do that well. I mean, clearly Branson won. Uh, I mean, love him or hate him, certainly Musk has won. Jeff Bezos, um, and, and that's that's a, that's a wonderful that's a wonderful mentality to have and one for investors 
to try to mimic, you know, hold, hold yourself to that standard as an investor, try to think forward. And oftentimes it's, it's about looking at these businesses. It's not thinking about what the business is doing today. It's, it's trying to figure out what that business might be able to do tomorrow or the next day or the year later or, or five years later. Where could that business go? What could it ultimately become? Because that ultimately is what the market is doing. It's looking to the future. So I think that's a really good, really good lesson there from a lot of these leaders out there. Now, before we move on to our next company, obviously we we have we have uh, some some positive positive vibes for for Branson for Richard Branson there but um i mean what we talk about spacs being a bet on management i mean is there something worth worth knowing here in that regard or is it something just as simple as saying hey this is a virgin brand this is a richard branson company this is something where we feel really good about management i i I'm the wrong one to really speak about a healthcare management team's experience. Um, I, I know that the, the 23andMe's founder, it's, it's a founder-led company. Um, I was betting on Richard Branson here. There's a limit to how forward-thinking I am, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the reason I don't own Virgin Galactic shares is because I think it could be a great company when my kids are 60 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, so, <laughs> that's a, a good point. You know, there's a limit to how forward-looking I want to be. Yeah, I want to be able to use this money while I'm alive. <laughs> That's kind of the point. So, yeah, 50-year rolling returns aren't really going to do me any good at this point, Matt. No, but but 10 or 20 years, I'm happy to, <laughs> yes, to wait yes. out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our next company here. The next uh, the next company out, uh, and, and it looks like they've identified a target as well. This is Churchill Capital. Ticker is CCIV. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what Churchill Capital is going to be bringing to the market here. Well, I'm sure most people know this because I added this one specifically because it's the one I see in the chat all the time. Um, <laughs> this is the one everyone says, what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on this? So here we go. Let's get it over. Let's get your so, thoughts. So Churchill Capital, uh, it's Churchill Capital Corporation 4. Um, this is their fourth spec. There's a, you know, I think eight altogether now. I think they're either seven or eight. They just launched a couple of new ones, but they are acquiring Lucid Motors. This was oh, probably yeah. the most anticipated spec deal in the past in, in 2021, at least. Um, it wasn't a surprise to see that they're acquiring Lucid. This was rumored and well known for a couple months before. Unlike most spec deals, like like when we heard that uh, Social Capital Five was acquiring SoFi. That kind of caught everyone by surprise. This one wasn't a surprise. In fact, it was so little of a surprise that the stock ran up to $65 before it was formally announced from $10, the par value. Wow. Um, and as soon as the deal was announced, it got cut in half. Hmm. So now it's trading at about $27. So if you want a relative bargain compared to what some people paid for it, you can get one right now. <laughs> this is not a cheap deal. It values the company based on, um, so Lucid Motors is a pre-production auto company. They're, they're anticipating delivering their first model, which is called the Lucid Air, which looks absolutely fantastic if they can deliver. They're anticipating in the second half of this year. We'll get to the car in a second. Um, the SPAC deal, they're getting $2.1 billion of cash from the, IP, the SPAC. They're getting another $2.5 billion from the pipe, which is the funding round that happens around the same time, which, by the way, that's the biggest pipe in history. Um, 
And remind so, our listeners again, really quickly, just what PIPE stands for. So PIPE stands for Private in- Investment in Public Equity. Yeah. So it's a, an investment round that happens at the same time of a SPAC merger, where a bunch of big investors, um, say like you know BlackRock is a, is a frequent uh, PIPE participant, yeah. where, where they commit money to invest alongside the SPAC investors and really just add an extra element of capital. So Lucid's getting well over $4 billion in this deal. Based on what the pipe investors are paying, which is $15 a share, it values the business at $24 billion. Remember, this is a pre-production auto company. They haven't shipped a car yet. Yeah. Um, But if they can deliver, this is thought of as the biggest candidate to be the next Tesla, is basically the way I can describe it. Now, don't get me wrong. Tesla is still the next Tesla. Yeah. Um, but $24 billion could be a, a drop in the bucket compared to a Tesla like valuation if this company is successful. Yeah. Um, so their vision is to really redefine performance and efficiency in electric vehicles, which I thought that's what Tesla did already. <laughs> so, but they're, they're, they're making some pretty bold claims. Their, their car is called the Lucid Air, their first model, which is supposed to. They already have two stores. I think one of them's in Florida, one's in California. They have some physical stores. They're taking orders. Um, the car starts at about seventy thousand dollars, and the launch edition, which is um, which is called the Air Dream Edition, um, is one hundred and sixty-one thousand dollars. Not a cheap car. That one has over a thousand horsepower, has a range of over five hundred miles. Wow. Can go zero to sixty in two point five seconds, which I'm a car guy. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, it can charge, get three hundred miles worth of charge in twenty minutes. This is a if they can deliver on that, that's a car that's worth one hundred sixty thousand dollars. That's yeah, that sounds impressive. That so sounds impressive. This is supposed supposedly the first of several models are coming out. It's kind of like the Tesla model where they do them the mass market car first, then they do an EV, then they do, or I'm not an EV, an SUV, then they kind of go from there. And, you know, Tesla's going with their semi and, and things like that. Um, they've already introduced an SUV, which they plan on in, in two, two years from now. Yeah. They're building, they're really scaling up a, a production facility in Arizona. They say it's going to be able to make 365,000 cars a year once it's fully built out. Um, they're expecting 20,000 deliveries in 2022, so next year. Can't believe 2022 is next year already. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they're kind of following Tesla's model where they're selling directly to consumers, which is a higher profit business model than going through dealerships. Um, it, it's, I, I call it like the ultimate speculation play a $24 yeah. billion dollar car company that hasn't delivered a car yet. But if they can deliver on what they promise, that it could be worth $200 billion easily. That's so amazing. I, yeah, so I, I think this is a really interesting one. I am not an investor yet. I own shares of the first SPAC we talked about, the VG acquisition. Mm-hmm. I have not invested in this one yet. It's a little speculative for me, and listeners kind of know my thoughts on the EV market. I think it's kind of getting crowded. Yeah. Um, but what do, what do you think, Jason? Are you an EV believer? Are you a lucid believer? Have you bought the car yet? What? Well, I'm absolutely an EV believer. I mean, I think that's the direction the world ultimately needs to head in here over the course of the coming decades. I mean, I think it's going to be a, I mean, it'll be a somewhat slow transition. I mean, you got to remember that every non-EV car that's purchased, I mean, that car is going to be on the road for years and years to come. So, I mean, 
you know, most cars out there still today that are being purchased are non-EV. Um, but I mean, there's no question in my mind that EV is the way it needs to go um, and, and will go. Uh, I one, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, I'm not an owner in Tesla. I'm not an owner in, in Lucid. Don't own the cars. I mean, I have a, I have a yeah, Ford. I think, Explorer. I think you and I both have Ford SUVs. If I yeah, remember yeah, correctly, I mean, got, exactly. So, um, I, I mean, I, I, I will be more than happy to buy, you know, an EV when when one comes out that, that strikes me as one that I want. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and this is neither here nor there, but but you said you're a car guy. So I want to get your perspective here. I'm not really a car guy. I mean, I like cars, don't get me wrong, but I mean, I don't collect them and I don't, you know, study them. Uh, but one thing that always just kind of baffles me is the focus on zero to 60 in so-and-so seconds. And I, on the one hand, I, I know where this is going. <laughs> well, no, I understand like, wow, that's powerful. Like, oh, man, that's, that's fast. But on the other hand, who cares? <laughs> like, we live in a nation of laws. There's speed limits. Like, does it matter? Like, why the focus on, I guess, is what I'm asking. Right before we had kids, I had a really souped up Camaro. And um, <laughs> and before before I, it was like you know, the, the, the high performance model. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right before I bought it, my wife said, I, I, I was trying to sell her on it. I said, oh, this thing's got, you know, over 500 horsepower. It's it'll do zero to 60 in under four seconds, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she said, and she said the speed limit 70, which is kind of what you're saying to me in not so many words. Well, no, so. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Listen, let's be very clear. Okay. I'm not questioning how fast the car can go. I'm saying who cares how quickly it gets from zero to 60. I mean, whether it's four seconds or five seconds, why should anyone care? That's all I'm they, asking. They do. I know. Um, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to discredit. I'm just asking why it matters. Like, I well, don't care if my car can get from zero to 60 in three seconds or four seconds. For me personally, it doesn't matter. So, so I'm just asking a car guy, why does it matter? I just, my, I, my I just don't know. My better answer, especially for the EV market, is historically, the, you know, EVs have been around in some form or another for about 20 years. When you consider pl- hybrids, plug-ins, things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Historically speaking, the better efficiency got the worst performance got. Okay. So with, all, yeah. with the big proposition with Tesla is here's gasoline car performance from an electric car. That's right. what really catapulted Tesla into the stratosphere gotcha. in terms of mass market adoption. So if Lucid saying we could do what Tesla did even better in so many words, you know, I'm a car guy. I love, I love fast performance. I love, I love, you know, stepping on the gas a little more than I should when I'm driving in my car. So I can't really speak to everybody why they care about zero to 60 and things like that. But from an electric car standpoint, the fact that you can get this, you know, 500 mile range on something you can charge in your garage without sacrificing performance from, and to put it in context, 2.5 seconds is what, you know, a a $500,000 Lamborghini would do. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's you know, without with getting that level of performance from something you can plug in your garage, it's really why that that statistic is so important. Yeah, well, that makes more sense to me. I mean, you, that 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 I understand. I do get that. So it's an indicator of performance. Um, I mean, it it is a metric worth worth knowing. I, I get that. And thank you for explaining that because I was always a little bit confounded by that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I I I think that listen, EVs are the way the world needs to go. Uh, it's the way the world is going. It's just going to be a matter of time. 
Um, and, and I think that it's great to see companies like Lucid getting a chance to get out there. I mean, it, to, for all of the great things that Tesla has done, I mean, Tesla can't give everyone in the world an EV. It doesn't have that, it doesn't have that, that type of production uh, capability. So we need more EV um, companies. And, and, and it sounds like that's what we're getting. And it's nice to see the incumbents in the automobile industry also really starting to focus on this this part of the the market as well. I mean, I've seen a lot of, of Ford and GM commercials really focusing on it as well. GM recently changed their logo to, to really be more in line with that that type of mentality, that type of future. Um, so, so it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely an exciting space, one that uh, I, I think should, should continue to develop over the coming years. And thanks, thanks to companies like Lucid, um, it's just going to bring more, more options to consumers. It sounds like. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I it's one that's on my watch list now and I would almost rather buy, I, I, I know I'm going to get backlash for saying this next time. <laughs> I would almost, I would almost rather buy it than Tesla because it's valued so that it could conceivably be like a five bagger if, yeah. if, if things go well. Yeah. Um, I love Tesla's product. I think it's a fantastic auto automatic manufacturer. And I know it's a lot more than that too, but they're kind of priced like they're going to own the entire EV market right now. Yeah. Um, and Lucid's priced like it could be a big player. And I, I kind of like that better. So it's on my watch list. Um, it, it has its issues. It has to work through. There's a tremendous amount of execution risk. It's worth mentioning. So, but yeah. I'm, I'm watching that one going forward. That'd be a good one to watch. Absolutely. I look forward to that. Uh, well, let's wrap up this week with one final uh, company out there. This is a this is a SPAC that is, it, it's out there. It hasn't identified its target yet, but there's a very familiar name uh, associated with this one as well. This is Pershing Square Taunting Holdings. The ticker is PSTH. None other than Bill Ackman. Um, he you, you can say what you want about Mr. Ackman, but the fact of the matter is he's made some pretty pretty good investments in his lifetime. Um, what do you think about Pershing Square taunting holdings? And uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think Bill Ackman's after here? Oh, well, here, we're going to have some fun with this one. Um, <laughs> okay. So this is probably the most closely followed SPAC in the market that has not identified a target yet. Right. And for good reason. It's the biggest one. Yeah. Um, this one raised over $4 billion in its IPO. So Bill Ackman has a blank check with $4 billion written on it to, to nice. go shopping with. Um, it's the biggest spec by far in the market, um, including the one that acquired Lucid. So that could be a good and bad thing. It's good in the sense that it allows the, the company to go after targets that, it other, that other specs can't. Other specs can't conceivably go after a $50 billion company or something like yeah. that. Um, it's bad in the sense that it limits it to big companies. Um, so the target most likely, I mean, a SPAC can acquire any, you could acquire a $100 million company with a billion dollar SPAC if it, and just give it a lot of cash if you wanted to. Sure. But realistically, this is going to be a, an acquisition target that has a valuation of at least, I'd say, $30 billion or so. So think, you know, when, when we've, we've talked about Warren Buffett wanting to fire his elephant gun, that's what Bill Ackman's trying to do. Yeah. Um, so just a couple of the criteria that Ackman set out, and like most specs, these are intentionally vague, but he wants a company with predictable cash flow, a high barrier market with um, a wide moat company, meaning you know big competitive advantages, um, limited cyclicality, 
So he doesn't want anything that would get crushed in a recession, for example. Yeah. And, and a large cap company. He specifically said that he it's, it's specifically noted that a company would be probably be eligible for the S&P 500 if, if, if Ackman were to take it public. So a couple that were kicked around that turned out to not be true were Coinbase was one of the companies he was rumored to be looking at. Um, and it's confirmed that he had talks with Airbnb before they actually went public. Oh, wow. Um, but they kind of turned him down and said, we want to go public the traditional route. Yeah. Um, so the million dollar or the, the multi-billion dollar question here <laughs> is what is Bill Ackman targeting? Um, there are some that are kind of, so I've heard about 20 companies mentioned and I've thought of a few of my own. So we're going to run through a few of these and I want to see which ones Jason really wants him to take public. Oh, this is great. I'm looking forward to this. So, yeah. So four that I think are kind of on the more likely side of it. One is Stripe, the financial services company, which just raised capital. So they just became a little less likely. Um, But this has been the one that everyone's been rumoring all along. Um, Stripe, you know, the payment processing company, they just raised capital with a $95 billion valuation. So they're definitely out of the realm of most SPACs, but not this one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Bloomberg, uh, the Bloomberg company is one that's been heavily rumored for this one. Um, And I think that could happen. I think shareholders would be disappointed if that was it. That's not a terribly exciting business, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, One thing worth noting is Ackman has really had success in restaurant investments. Um, So Subway is one that's been heavily rumored. Oh, wow. That's an interesting name. I would not have thought about that. A less likely restaurant that he could take public would be Chick-fil-A. That's it, it, Everyone pretty much says that they don't want to go public, Yeah, which I, I agree with. I, yeah. But Ackman's pulled off crazier stuff before. Yeah. Um, yep. Another one, uh, uh, FanDuel. Currently, they're a subsidiary of Flutter. And we know DraftKings was w- arguably the most successful SPAC IPO yet. Yep. Um, and they're a subsidiary of Flutter um, Entertainment who has expressed interest in spinning it off. So SPACs can you know, spin off parts of existing public companies. That's, that's within the, the realm of possibility. So FanDuel, those are some that I see are on the more likely end of things. Yeah. Now, let's have some fun and talk about some that are not quite as likely. <laughs> My holy grail. I'm approaching Square Tontine shareholder. My holy grail is SpaceX. Yeah. If he were to, to take SpaceX or even spin out Starlink, the internet, the internet portion of it, right? That would be my holy grail for him to take public. Hmm. Um, Robinhood's been rumored, even though Robinhood has filed for a traditional IPO, that they don't mm-hmm. actually have to go through with it if they don't want to. Um, they could go public through this. Uh, Chime, uh, which is essentially a bank at this point. Um, one company I heard rumored recently is WeWork. Bringing we work back from the dead. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Ackman yeah, has a, a a history of making value oriented real estate plays. Um, he invested in a company called General Growth Properties that was bankrupt during the financial crisis. I remember that. And that's where Howard Hughes Corporation came from. It was a spinoff of GGP. That's why he's you know the head honcho there. Yep. Um, Fidelity is one that I've heard. Fidelity, most people don't think of as a private company, but it is Fidelity, the investment firm. Um, And one that I, as a, as a Jersey boy, um, I I would love to see this one be true. Uh, Wawa, the convenience store chain um, is one that I've heard rumored, but that's another one that long said, we like being family owned. We don't want to go public. Yeah. Um, So out of that list, that's a pretty cool list of, of companies that most other SPACs couldn't even dream of acquiring. 
Um, but they're yeah, all within the realm of possibilities valuation wise. That could be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's that that's that to me seems to be probably one of the more enjoyable parts of this would be trying to identify the target. And if you're someone like Bill Ackman, who's who's obviously been at this for a while, has a lot of experience as an investor. I mean, he, yeah, you got to imagine he's he's casting a very wide net. Um, and and it's so difficult. It seems to be able to find those compelling targets uh, because either. A, they've got their own plans on how they, they want to go about it, or or B, I mean, it, maybe they just have no interest in living life as a publicly traded company. I mean, it's always worth remembering. While that's that's the that's what we focus on, living life as a publicly traded company is a difficult thing. I mean, you are under the microscope, and I I would venture to say that while I think it would be cool to see Chick Fil A out there as a publicly traded company, I don't think they have any interest in doing that. Um, no, maybe I mean, maybe they do, but I mean, it doesn't. They just don't strike me as as really having that that aspiration. Um, but you, who have knows? To, you have to answer to shareholders if that's the case. I mean, shareholders it, may want them to be open Sunday, and they don't want yeah. to be open Sunday. You know, things like that. <laughs> you have to answer to shareholders, and, and oftentimes you have to answer to the court of public opinion as well. I mean, that's and, why Elon um, Musk hasn't taken SpaceX public yet because that's his baby. He does not want to answer to anybody but himself on that. I, I, I mean, I could, I can understand that. That, that to me makes perfect sense. Um, but, but him and Bill Ackman are have a friendly relationship, so it's, you know, it's possible. Might be a way to do says, it. We'll leave you alone to do what you want to do. <laughs> Better make sure you have that thing written in the contract. <laughs> I, I think if it, if it turns out to be SpaceX, the the SPAC is going to soar. But I don't really, I don't necessarily think that that's a high probability. I'd give that like a five percent chance of happening. Well, yeah, definitely would, I, I imagine. But but yeah, maybe a smaller percentage chance there. Uh, any which way, a lot of a lot of fun thinking about the the potential there. Uh, clearly uh, a, a SPAC that we're going to keep our eyes on. And, and to me, I, this, this sounds like a perfect one to revisit when they do identify the target uh, and lay that strategy out. So, uh, so we'll keep an eye on it. And when we find out more news, we'll bring it back to the show here for a future episode. Yeah, and it's also just not to add a wrench into the thing, but um, it's worth mentioning they could buy two companies if they want, if they couldn't find one that's big enough. Yeah, yeah, so, that's, hey, listen, man. Food for thought. A lot of ways to do it. <laughs> Matt, I think that's going to do it for us this week, though. I appreciate you taking the time to jump on here and, and digging through these three compelling ideas. I think our listeners really enjoyed this week's show. I know I did. I had a great time, and I, I look forward to the fourth one. Absolutely. Well, we will see you next week then. Remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. You can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 